Chapter Twelve of Sister Simon's Murder Case by Margaret Ann Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Twelve. Sister Joe was not taking her customary pleasure in her little card game, and she was disappointed in herself. For years now, ever since she had educated Sister Jude to be her partner, she had looked forward to the recreation hour. Tonight, because the day had been so troubled, her anticipation had been even keener than usual. But something was wrong. She peered out over her spectacles at the assembled sisters, thirty of them, all with lips moving in speech or laughter, all working at knitting or embroidery or jigsaw puzzles. The television was on, showing a pretty girl singing. But singing was just people opening their mouths when you couldn't hear. Sister Vitus was ripping her crocheting again, the same chalice design that Damien had been using for the altar cloth. Tagging up the cards, Sister Joe began to shuffle them in long fans that appeared to rest in mid-air like a magician's trick. Frank had taught her to shuffle that way. It was he who had taught her to play cards back in the days when she had gone from one lumber camp to another collecting hospital insurance from the lumberjacks. With that money, St. Matthew's had made its beginning. Frank used to joke about it. Everything was funny to him. The sight of a nun dealing a poker hand was a huge joke. She never had played for money, of course, and never with anyone but Frank, her own brother. Those had been great days. Often, when the cook was sick, or they were between cooks, she had turned in and fried the bacon. Sister Jude kicked her lightly under the table. Mother Richard had come in. Sister Joe lowered the cards to the conventional shuffle. Mother knew about the poker. She had participated once in a while before she had become superior, and she had been a reckless player but now they all pretended she knew nothing about it. Not that there was a thing wrong with the game you play with buttons. Poker just sounded a little racy for a convent. She dealt the cards expertly. Sweeten the pot, sister. She must have spoken too loudly because Sister Jude jumped and put her finger to her lips. The old nun's eyes went again around the circle. At times, such as this, she would have liked to hear, for Mother appeared to be telling something of high interest. Touching her thumb to her tongue, Sister Joe began to deal. Later, perhaps, someone would tell her the news. If not, she could offer the sacrifice of her curiosity for the poor souls. You open, sister, she said. The game began, but Sister Joe was so erratic in her playing, it was difficult to tell what she meant, and finally she laid her cards face down on the table. Are you calling, Jude? Sister Joe asked. If you are, that's no way to go about it. Frank always said, Shh. The old nun understood that well enough. She might as well gather up the buttons. Sister Jew's attention was gone from the game. Snapping the cover on the button box, she pushed back her chair and plodded out of the room and down the stairs. She was tired tonight. A half hour's reading in bed would send her off to sleep. The lumberman had built his house well. But Sister Joe's tramp sent a shiver through half the cloister. The only light was a spare glimmer in the ceiling. All the doors were open upon oblongs of darkness, except for one. In the third oblong from the end of the right there was a flash. Lightning? Sister Joe stopped. If she could feel the vibration of the thunder, then the storm was close, and she would go back upstairs. Nothing happened. The light did not show again. Sister Edmund had sinus and was going to bed early. That was it. Everyone left her door open these hot nights. 
the old nun trudged forward perhaps edmund would like some hot ginger tea the room as she looked in was dark but against the grayness of the window she could see that the plain white bed was unoccupied the curtains clipped neatly back with clothespins left the window available for any passing breeze there were no screens on these windows because the wide porch was tightly screened sister joe grunted lightning it must have been and then just as she was turning away a black blot began rising against the lightness of the window cautiously slowly widening into shoulders and an arm braced against the window frame who's there sister joe boomed the figure swayed there was something eerie in the way it remained poised half above the sill featureless incredibly quiet then for no apparent reason it began to sink away who is it she demanded again if there was a reply she did not hear it never in all the years she had been in the convent had there been an intruder but this person must be one if he had legitimate business why did he not come openly to the door and ring the bell for a long minute the old nun remained still listening so intently that her fingers were pressed in numbness against the door jamb even the black blot of the head had disappeared now there was nothing to indicate anything unusual had happened except the tingling sensation running along her spine shutting the door with a slam she could hear herself sister joe lumbered down the hall and out into the lobby turned back to dip her finger in the holy water cup started up the stairs and walked into her habit as she had not done since she was a novice jerking the habit out of the way she ascended at a speed that brought her panting into the recreation room mother she boomed and everyone jumped to face her she still held her scapular clutched up in a bundle and she folded her arms across it mother there's a burglar in the cloister in sister edmund's cell he came through the window she might have added something about calling the police but the sisters having waited mere seconds for mother to lead the way were already pouring past when sister joe again reached the landing the long stairs was a waterfall of waving veils being rapidly siphoned off into the cloister she came in with the last trickle the door she had closed now stood open mother had turned on the light nobody was under the bed the closet held nothing but sister edmund's other habit and her winter cloak and rubbers the only proof that an intruder ever had been there was a dark smudge on the wall under the window i don't wonder he's gone sister joe observed he wouldn't stand around waiting to be caught no one answered her vaguely she could catch the word police mother was going to call them it was the proper step but they wouldn't find him there had been so much trouble over damien perhaps this was part and parcel of it all sister joe went into her own cell and closed the door things she would just as soon remember were completely gone out of her head but damien's letter haunted her she couldn't even forget where she had put it Pushing aside the curtain of her closet, she looked up at the shelf. There it was, her new forgetting book, Uranium Prospecting in Northern Minnesota. She wouldn't take it down tonight, and possibly by morning she would have forgotten the letter. Seating herself in her rocker, she took out her rosary. Sister Simon came into the Octagon House just as Mother Richard hung up the telephone after calling the police. A prowler, the nuns babbled excitedly, had been in the cloister, and goodness knew what might have happened if Sister Joe hadn't discovered him. There's even fingerprints on the wall, young Sister Pius twittered. Come and see. 
We don't know why he wanted to get into the cloister, says Sister Jude. We've never had a burglar before. He could have mistaken it for the nurse's home, Sister Pius suggested. Only what would he be after there, either? He ought to know the girls don't have any money. It wouldn't be money, Sister Simon murmured, already on her way out. The prowler could very well have mistaken the octagon house for the nurse's home. Out in the dark, the sister began to run. Vince Barron had been admitted to the hospital this afternoon, unconscious from a bad concussion. The ambulance siren had barely sighed into nothing when Lizette, returned from her errand, had come hurrying up to Peds with a nervous account of a strange interview with a secretary, who insisted Mr. Barron was out of town, and yet a few minutes later was seen accompanying him in the ambulance, and of a second disturbing little conversation with Merlin, the mind-reader. Jenny was gone. And now Lizette? Sister Simon was panting like a long-distance sprinter when she threw open the door to Lizette's room. Over by the window in the dark, someone was seated. She snapped the light switch. In the sudden brightness, Lizette blinked, then turned to bury her face in her arms on the sill. Sorry, dear, the sister said, and flipped the switch again. We'll have the lamp on instead. Why are you sitting here in the dark? I'm thinking. Turning on the small study screen, Sister Simon glanced immediately at the window screen beyond Lizette. It was intact. He could have reached her so easily, sitting there. What are you thinking about, Lizette? The nun asked casually. Lizette, still resting her head on her arms, faced the sister. She was as pale as Diane had been in the afternoon, with the same drawn look, her dark eyes too big. I was thinking how unfair life is, sister. Awful things happen to other people, but for me everything is perfect. I get along in school, I have a wonderful boyfriend, my folks are so good to me. But look at Jenny. She had a miserable life at home. Even as she graduates, she'll be a terrible nurse. We all know that. The only bright spot was being Blueberry Queen. She stopped hiding her face again. Sister Simon looked around the room. All of Jenny's clutter had been cleared away, her bed smoothly made, her stuffed rooster rakishly perched on the pillow. Deliberately the sister sat down on that smooth bed and caught at the spread to wrinkle it a little. The only answer I can give you, Lizette, is that we aren't in a position to judge the fairness of life. There's an old story, you must have heard it, about a man who stood watching a nun scrubbing a floor, and he said, Sister, I wouldn't lead your kind of life for a million dollars. And she smiled and said, Neither would I. The purpose is what counts, you see. Jenny feels that she is really getting somewhere. She's not a bit sorry for herself and there's a place for her in nursing. Couldn't you imagine what a comfort she would be to a bedridden old lady? Lizette straightened, smiling through tears. What a dear thing to think of, sister. Much more will be expected of you, so take your happiness and be thankful for it. Oh, I always am. Like yesterday morning, Ted and I had such a perfect time on our picnic up in the gorge. A little boy came along with a rusty old gun over his shoulder, and had breakfast with us. Ted told him the gun had undoubtedly belonged to Wyatt Earp. He even pretended he could see the initial on the stock. W.E. instead of W.L. She paused, frowning. That's been bothering me, sister. Why would W.L. ring a bell? It does with me, too. 
I seem to see it in print. What have I been reading lately? Sister Joe's old scrapbook? That's it, sister. Remember, right at the end of the clipping, it mentioned the other hunter who was missing, besides Steve MacArthur. Willis Lawrence. Where did the boy get the gun? He said he found it in the river. Do you know his name? No, Ted called him Jim Bowie, and the initials are changed now because Ted made the L into an E for Wyatt Earp. Lizette rose to lean on the end of the bed. Sister, could this have any connection with the hunting accident? I don't see how it could. But the nun spoke as if the breath had been knocked out of her. No, of course not. Willis wasn't hunting with Henry Waddy's party. How could there be a connection? She was protesting too much, she well knew, but she couldn't look squarely at the terrifying possibility that had popped full-fledged into her mind. You're thinking of something, sister, Lizette accused her, something you're not going to tell me. Are you trying to be a mind-reader, too, dear? Sister Simon looked at her watch. Nine o'clock. You can sleep for at least an hour and a half before you go on duty. And you should do it, Liz. You look tired. All right, sister, I'll try. The girl was puzzled and not quite pleased, the nun reflected as she hurried away, but far better to leave her that way than with nebulous imaginings. The only certain sure fact was that Willis had lost his gun. The sister, however, fled through the alley at such a pace that her stiff skirts made a clatter in the echoing old place. In the convent the great silence had begun, and there was no sound except a few footsteps. There would be no more conversation until breakfast time. Sister Simon went straight to her cell, and took the scrapbook from a drawer in her writing desk. Turning quickly to the page she had perused so often in the past hours, she ran her finger down to the bottom of the clipping. There it was. Willis Lawrence was missing. He had been on a deer-hunting expedition with several people, among them his brother Bartholomew. Returning to the hall, the sister closed the cloister door tightly behind her. No one would hear her using the phone. There were several Lawrences listed in the telephone book. Two of them, Bartholomew, father and son, because one of them was junior. She dialed senior. Her heart thudded as she listened to the ringing. One, two, three, and the line opened. Hello, a woman's voice said. May I speak to Mr. Bartholomew Lawrence, please? Just a moment. Now what in the world would she say? She should have taken a few minutes to think this out carefully. Mr. Lawrence speaking, a man said into her ear. I'd like to get in touch with Willis Lawrence, Sister Simon told him. I understand he's your brother. There was a small hesitation. Willis disappeared twenty years ago. We never knew what became of him. What did you want to get in touch with him for? Sister Simon would have given anything in the world if she could have dropped the telephone like the teenagers who make bother calls and hang up as soon as you answer, because there was someone coming quietly through the long corridor from the front door, and the tread was unmistakably Mother Richard's. I believe something belonging to Willis has been found, Sister Simon said hurriedly. I'll call you tomorrow morning. Goodbye. She did drop the receiver then. Poor Bartholomew. He would lie awake wondering who owned this voice out of the past. But she couldn't explain about a gun, not with Mother crossing herself at the cloister door, waiting for her. She should not have called Bartholomew in the first place, but Chief Wakeley would make light of this new clue, if such it could be called, 
and besides there was still her own lingering sense of guilt concerning danny's cry for help which she had not permitted to be answered she couldn't dwell on her doubts especially to a person who never had been mentally tousled herself mother would simply repeat her reassurances leave murder to the police for yourself sift the facts sensibly and you will see you did right then forget it with only a nod so as not to break the silence sister simon followed mother into the cloister in her own cell with the door closed she could not shut off the terrible conclusion that was not merely a hunch any more the facts were too indisputable willis lawrence had not returned because he was dead his gun had been found in the river a skeleton presumably that of steve mcarthur was discovered in a ravine some years later but the only identification was superficial a watch with steve's initials the watch belonged to steve he had put it where it was discovered on willis lawrence's wrist slowly the nun walked over to the desk and gazed down at the clipping jim had died elizabeth had died not by accident either of them danny had known that their deaths had not been accidental henry waddy knew it vince barron could be suspected of knowing and so an attempt had been made on his life there was only one answer steve had come back and the awful chain twenty years long would not be broken until he was found with the musket against his shoulder eddie skulked rapidly up the witch's gorge he had to do his skulking rapidly because it would soon be dark and he was not supposed to be here at all his mother had finally put her foot down it was his own fault in a way because yesterday morning he had forgotten all about the time with ted carving the initial on the gun and telling stories about wyatt earp and it was long past noon when eddie got home mom had been worried sick anything could happen she said out in those hideous ravines he could fall down a cliff and lie there with a broken leg until he died she said and all they'd ever find would be his bones it was the end she said to the kid running wild so now he would have to do his skulking when she didn't know about it and this evening was his first chance his mother and dad were gone somewhere and janet was on the front porch with her goony boyfriend and not caring a bit what her little brother did as long as he kept out of sight and hearing there was just about time for a quick trip through the gorge it would be great eddie thought if he could dally along until the last bunch of settlers came through the draw and say hello to ted only he wasn't sure that ted would be the guide and he didn't dare stay away long enough to be missed he'd better just bring down a few squirrels and head for home crouching on one knee he sighted along the lofty top of the ravine nothing moved but a few ferns away up against the sky his thumb rubbed softly at the initials on the stock of the gun he thought so much about wyatt earp after ted's stories that it almost seemed as if the weapon had really belonged to the famous frontiersman it sure was a dandy shootin' iron down the ravine behind him eddie heard a woman's high-pitched laugh settlers or indians he hadn't expected them in this neck of the woods hide that's what wyatt would do until he'd see whether this was friend or enemy up ahead just beyond the narrow turn they called fat man's misery was the old glacial cell he had explored the other day duck in there and he'd be safe he could even pick off a few indians as they filed by laying the gun on the sidewalk eddie swung under the railing took up the gun again and on his knees backed into the circular cavity in the rock it was a lot bigger than he'd thought before there was a lip coming down and partly blocking the entrance but right inside the ceiling was nearly high enough so he could stand upright 
toward the back it curved down like an igloo with a rounded wall eddie pivoting on his knees was suddenly motionless he was not alone in the cell a girl lay with her back against the wall sound asleep out in the draw the woman settler laughed again Lizette had turned off the light and lain down but there was no way to turn off her thoughts staring up at the shadowy ceiling she could see sister simon's pretty face bewildered even a little frightened exactly what the nun was thinking she could not quite deduce for her head felt like a musty attic jammed full of the remains of things but one fact she did know for sure sister's sudden brain-wave had been inspired by the gun the gun which had belonged to willis lawrence lizette sat up battered her pillow into another shape and lay down again she was not going to be shut out of making any discovery that could possibly help either to find jenny or to throw light on the situation concerning danny and henry waddy one obvious contribution would be to find the gun she could do that very easily at eleven she would go on duty and ted would have returned to the mortuary she would call him and suggest another picnic up the gorge in the morning he'd agree for he was more than ready to do anything she wished these days jem bowie had had such a good time yesterday morning with them that there was more than a possibility he would happen along again and if he shouldn't come ted would think of a way to get in touch with him then they would borrow the gun sister simon or the police could take it from there sighing heavily she closed her eyes eddie watched the girl for a full minute she was a real pretty girl she had blonde hair and it was framed out over the dark rock and her dress was about the color of mom's lilacs last spring eddie didn't know whether he should wake her up or not she certainly couldn't be very warm in this damp room she'd catch her death of cold lying there like that with no coat on hello he said the girl didn't move so he said it louder hello still she didn't wake up he inched over on his knees and touched her shoulder it felt ice cold through the thin dress hey listen you're going to get pneumonia eddie told her and he gave her shoulder a small push against the wall she rolled back a little but her arm meant to lie along the rock stayed in the same stiff position and on her dress where her hand had been there was a dark brown stain like the stain on the bandage when he'd cut his thumb so bad with the hatchet eddie snatched back his hand he had seen only one dead person grandpa and he looked like he was alive in his casket only better he suddenly was very sorry for this girl nobody would say like they did about grandpa that it was a blessing she was gone she had suffered so much she was so pretty she ought to be alive and somebody grown up had to come not just a kid he scuffled over to the opening the settlers were right at the curve he could hear the guide explaining about the glacier but it wasn't ted's voice while eddie hesitated other feet began to go by girls and men's and everything and then a cautious thought struck him he was not supposed to be here in the witch's gorge let him tell these people there was a dead girl in the cell and they'd never just say thanks go on home now they'd ask what's your name how did you find her where do you live and his folks couldn't help hearing about it then he'd sure have some tall explaining to do he could have trusted ted ted would have worked out something to save his skin as it was he sure was in a pickle shivering his knees icy as the girl's shoulder on the cold rock eddie crouched in the dimness while the feet filed by he didn't know what to do 
It didn't seem right just to go off and leave the girl, because nobody else would go diving into this place, and she'd never be found. Nothing would hurt her, though, because animals didn't come down here from the forest above. There was nothing to eat for them. Ted had said so. Golly! Why hadn't he stayed home tonight and maybe crawled around under the porch and listened to Janet and the boyfriend if he'd wanted something to do? Only Mom had made him promise never to do that again after the time he choked with laughing and given himself away. Eddie drew a long, trembling breath and hugged the gun. If he could figure out what Wyatt Earp would do in this case, maybe that would be the answer. Of course things were a lot simpler for Wyatt, not having folks to demand where in the world were you. Still, for other reasons, he had to do things on the QT, like when he was chasing outlaws and didn't want them to get wise to the fact that they were being trailed. If he discovered the girl while he was on a ride like that and couldn't let anyone know he'd found her, he'd... Well, wouldn't he lead somebody else to do the discovering all over again? You betcha, Eddie whispered aloud. You just betcha. The whole scheme fairly blasted out of his head. He had a beat-up old crown in his pocket. All he needed was a piece of paper, and he knew where to find one. The only chancy part was that he'd have to be out a little later than he'd planned, but Mom was going to mark up a hymn for Aunt Margaret, and that always led to more sewing talk, and Janet would be so glad he wasn't pestering that she'd never think of stirring him up by looking in his room. He'd be safe for quite a while yet. The last of the feet went by, and the voices drifted out of hearing up the draw. The settlers wouldn't be coming back for a while, plenty long enough for what Eddie had to do. Scrambling out, he piled loose rocks in the open archway. The girl would be protected, and the rocks would be a landmark for Ted during the discovering. Then all he'd have to do would be to get the paper, write the note, a thought which sort of frightened him, because he wasn't any good at spelling, and wait for the boat to depart from the landing at the foot of the gorge. The waiting was so the wrong guy wouldn't get the note. It had to be Ted, and Ted, he knew from experience, would be the first guide up here tomorrow afternoon. He'd be sure to see the note, where Eddie would stick it. He almost whistled as he ran down the sidewalk. Things are mighty easy when you work them out like Wyatt Earp. End of chapter 12